Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today, I want to speak to you for the third week on the subject of vision. I believe that God's going to speak right to you right now as your heart is receptive and as your mind is open. You know, we started speaking about this a couple weeks ago, and we started speaking that God has a great vision for you. He does. He has a vision formed and fitted and fashioned to you. But to give you a preview of this sermon, there is also a cross that is formed and fitted and fashioned to you. And these two things, they go together. For every vision has a great price. And today I want to speak to you about the price of the vision. Yes, God has a great vision for you. And it's not just theoretical, it's practical. So God says, when I give it to you, write it down, make it plain, put it where you can see it. Let this be your motivation. So many people are motivated by lesser things. But let me tell you, one of the greatest things to be motivated by is a God-given vision for your life. And then if you allow this vision to constrain you, choose who you are not to be, where you are not to go, what you are not to do, this vision will eventually compel you into greater things that God has for your life. But today, I want to, I don't want to use the word warn, but I want to speak to you forthrightly about the fact that every vision has a great price. Every vision has a great price. And uh, I want to show you this from the conversion of the Apostle Paul, how Saul became Paul. If you want to turn with me, today we're going to look in the, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, and we've got a lot of verses to read together, and we're going to read them together right now. We're going to start in verse 3. Vision, the high price of vision. Acts chapter 9, verse 3 begins like this. Now as he, being Paul, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The the verse goes on, and we see Saul's reaction to that news, and, and the people around him heard the voice, but they didn't receive the vision. Verse 8 says, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Although his eyes were open, he had no vision. Verse 10, now there was a man, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and to lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. So, so far, we've read a couple verses, and there's three different visions. Paul's had a vision of Jesus. Then Ananias is having a vision of Paul. And, and God's saying to Ananias that Paul's seen you in a vision, so go see him. It's like... It's as if God's trying to communicate something here. This is how I speak. And Ananias begins to argue with God. And he begins to say, God, I I don't know if you know this guy, Saul, but he came here to persecute me. I'm not going to show up. Hey, I'm who you're looking for. I'm not going to make it easy. 
I'm not going to show. He, he's a persecutor. He, he's ripping people. The last time we saw him in Acts chapter 8, he's ripping people out of, his, out of their homes. He came to Damascus breathing, the Bible says, muttering murderous threats under his breath. This is a zealous and, and, and self-righteous man, and Ananias rightly is nervous. He's rightly a little afraid. Because the truth is, as hopeful and as powerful and as, as far-reaching as visions are, godly visions usually will make you a little bit nervous because they require faith and they require courage. And he says, God, I, I don't want to go to this guy. But verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, and he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. I almost called this sermon, sermon something like scales. Something like scales. Don't know quite what it was. Was it sin? Was it the past? Was it old vision? Don't quite know what it was. But the thing that was obscuring his vision fell from his eyes when the man of God lays, laid his hands on him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always brings clarity to our vision. Amen. But know this, great vision comes at great cost. I didn't think there was going to be any amends on that one. That's the thesis of my sermon today, just so you know where we're headed. <laughs> this is the direction we're going. I feel like we're on a tube, you know? Like, you ever go tubing, and you, like, look over the edge, and you're like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know about this, and the guy kicks you. Or on a water slide, you do that thing, and then you look, you say, you know what, how about... <laughs> That's this sermon. <laughs> great vision comes at great cost. People are, uh, I, I pray that, that the people of God, you and I, we are willing to pay the price to be used by God. Come on, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, right now, we invite you to come and speak right to us, God. And, and God, I pray that you challenge us and encourage us by your word, God, that if you could save a man like Saul and turn him into the Apostle Paul, that you have a great vision for us as well. And we embrace the cost of it, God, whatever it takes to be used by you and to be made healthy and whole. And God, we pray that you build legacy and lineage in our life, Lord, as we are willing to stay close to you. Right now, Holy Spirit, Spirit, come and speak. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen. Amen. This is a great story in the book of Acts where we find the apostle Paul having a radical salvation experience. In fact, it's, it's called uh, a Damascus experience, even in, in the lexicon of the English language, where if someone has a radical conversion, a change of their mind, a supernatural happening, we call it, oh, they had a Damascus road experience. They had, they had a Damascus experience. It, is that, I love the Bible because everything is on a giant scale, you know? It, everything is huge. God doesn't just uh, approach Saul. He does it in blinding, shining light, and Paul's thrown to the ground, and there's this incredible exchange, and when Paul Paul gets up, he can't even see, and God's speaking to another man that was supposed to be the one that Paul came to, to throw in prison, and now this man is here to set Paul free. 
is massive in scope because that's how God works in salvation. Like it wasn't a little thing, God saving you. It wasn't a small thing. God had to show up in a big way because you were going the wrong way. Not a little bit, you were way off course. You know how far Damascus is from Jerusalem? Paul was way off course, and he was going there to murder, and he was going there filled with hatred and filled with evil. And maybe you say, well, that wasn't me, but make no mistake, the road of sin leads you there. It leads you to bitterness, and it leads you to, 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 to um, resentment, and it leads you to be filled and hating everyone else and out to get everyone else and, and out to, to, to better everyone else. And, and thank God he shows up. Because you didn't come to God. God came to you. And you, and you didn't decide on God. God decided on you. And, and this is how salvation works, is that Jesus shows up and his light pierces your darkness. And he gives you a revelation of salvation. And, and, and this is where Paul experiences what I pray, that you experience a radical revision. You need a radical revision a revision of your heart, a revision of your mind, a revision of your vision. And this is what Paul experienced on the road to Damascus. And he asked this question to Jesus. He says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Know this, every spiritual vision begins with God's intervention. If you want a supernatural vision, it's got to start with Jesus. I say this because I think sometimes we think vision will come through a great idea. Vision will come from a great song, a great book I've read. Vision will come from just a moment of quiet. But the truth is, if you want supernatural vision, you cannot get it from a podcast or a book. You cannot get it from someone else. You must get it from the author of vision, who's Jesus. And when Jesus comes in, he comes in with divine intervention because the truth is on our own, we're always going the wrong way. We're always on the wrong road. We're always with the wrong purpose. We need God to continually show up, knock us off our vision, and give us a radical revision. I think about, I think about that great story where Jesus healed the blind man and, and, and the Pharisees were frustrated about it. And they said, no, no, he should not be healing on the Sabbath. They didn't even care about the miracle. They cared about the rules. And they were mad that this guy, can you imagine? It, it just goes to show the, the difference between someone that has no vision and the, the difference between someone that just received vision. You know, this man had never seen before and he's, he's so excited. It's not theoretical to him. It's real to him. But it's theoretical to the Pharisees. They, they could care less that this man has never seen before. They're consumed with the law. All that to say, they come to the man, they say, who did this to you? As if it's a bad thing. And the man says, I don't know. And they say, was he a sinner? And I love his response. He goes, he, if he was a sinner, I, don't, I know not. Maybe. I have no clue. All I know is this. I once was blind. He showed up. Now I see. That's divine intervention. I love that testimony because they're arguing theology with someone that's just been healed. I don't know how it all works. Well, tell me about Revelation and the third beast and the second horn and the, I don't know. All I know is I was in trouble. I was headed in the wrong direction. I had no sight for my life. Jesus showed up when I didn't deserve it. 
primarily wasn't when I wasn't even asking for it. He knocked me down, brought me back up, and healed my life. I once was blind, but now I see. See, the one that formed our eyes is the one that reforms our vision. The designer, the creator, is the one that has to intervene. And so I would challenge you today, if you need revision in your life, then re-encounter Christ. Put yourself in the place where you can re-encounter Christ. I believe that's what you're doing here every Sunday. We don't come here just for the amazing coffee and the great people. We are here to re-encounter Christ. And I think every single Sunday, you're opening up the, 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 um, the story of your life and saying, God, revise it. Make some edits. And he will be faithful to do so. And, and the interesting moment in this whole process that I see is that when Saul, Saul was allowed to see Jesus, but after he fell to the ground, had this vision of God, when he rose up, everything in his life faded to black. Interesting, after he had a, an experience with light, now his, his natural uh, sight faded to black. And the verse is this, that Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And that's the state of many people that have not yet been saved and changed and accepted Christ. Although their eyes, you know, your eyes can be open, but you can miss the things that are important. You're, you can have physical sight and have no spiritual vision. As the, even though his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And this is a divine moment because, see, before God want, will give you fresh vision, he always has to remove old vision. This is what the Bible talks about. He says, I cannot, I will not put, I will, I will not put new wine in old wineskins. What I've got is too important here. Before God will give you fresh vision, he's got to remove your old vision. So God, God's going to give fresh vision to Paul, Saul. But first, he says, I got to remove. I know why you came to Damascus. You, you thought you were going to enter with bravado. You're going to be led by the hand. You thought you were going to pick out all of the, the Christians, but the Christians are actually the ones that are going to come to you. I'm going to take your old vision, and I'm going to put it in the grave. But I'm going to bring new vision for your life. This is what God has to do with us. Because, see, we all will struggle with this dilemma. And the dilemma is this, that our vision many times is a product of our surroundings. Many times we see what we've seen. Isn't it true? That's what, that's what Paul's struggling with here. He's only doing what he's seen before. Don't forget, his whole identity is wrapped up in the law. I mean, he calls himself, you know, a, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, in the law, I was blameless. This man was an absolute, resolute Pharisee. It's who he was. And the last time that we saw, so, so I say that to say, so everything he knew, everything he learned, and everyone he was around hated Christians, hated Jesus, condemned him to death. I read one commentary, and I don't know if this is true, but they said most likely he was even part of the Sanhedrin that condemned Jesus to death. But he certainly knew all of the people that condemned Jesus to death. And don't forget, when he's on his way to Damascus, he's holding letters from all of the religious leaders giving him the authority to persecute Christians. All he's seen and all he's been surrounded by are 
people that hate Christ. So their vision has become his vision. And that can happen with us, that we assimilate the vision of culture, the world, the flesh, our family, and we call it our own. But really, it's just what you've been around. I mean, the last time we see Paul before this moment in the book of Acts, he is standing with the other Pharisees as they are stoning Stephen to death. Think about it. And you know what he's doing in that moment? He's holding the coats. In other words, he's not acting, but he's one step away. He's holding the coats. All right, you do it, and I'll watch. But now, what they did becomes his vision of what he should do. He says, you threw the stones, and I held the coats, but now it's my turn. I'm going to step in. I'm going to persecute the way. I'm going to search out the followers. See, he assimilated a vision of death, an antichrist vision, a vision of evil, because that's what he was surrounded by. And the truth is, first you see your surroundings, but eventually you see by your surroundings. Your surroundings become the filter that you see and understand the world through. It's called a worldview. And it's amazing how much your worldview is created by the immediate world around you. And you might say, well, why is this important? Because the truth is, if you are surrounded by, by people who are consumed in a poverty mindset, most likely you will get a poverty mindset. If you are around people consumed and run by anger, hatred, vileness, lust, you eventually will become consumed by that. Not just dabble, it will become your vision. If you're, cons- if you're around people that, that, that are, are following their own way, of course, that is what you're going to do. Because amazingly, so many times our vision is just assimilated from our surroundings, But so it's true on the flip side, that when you get around Christ, his people, when you get around the saints, when you get around worship, when you get around the word, God begins to refresh, cleanse, revise your vision. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, not only because I see it, but by it, I see everything else. Let the word Let the the preaching, let the worship become what our surroundings, let that become the source of our vision, the spirit of God. Do you remember when Isaiah went into the the temple and he had a vision of the temple and the famous vision, Isaiah chapter six, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw his temple. I saw the train of his robe. He begins to describe this heavenly vision that he has where he sees God seated on the throne. Do you remember that? Well, here's Isaiah's reaction. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he's, after he sees the vision of God, he says, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And now my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What am I saying? When you see God, it changes how you see everything else. After Isaiah saw God, he realized, Uh-oh, I'm unclean and my surroundings are unclean. He didn't know that until he saw cleanliness. He didn't know that his surroundings were lesser, were consumed with sin until he had a vision from God. See, the vision gave him a heavenly perspective. The vision God gives gave him an eternal perspective, and he looked around and said, I I can't live like this anymore. I can't get my vision from them anymore. They're unworthy. Now that I've seen that, now that I've seen him, 
Now that he's spoken to me, everything changes. That's why Habakkuk says, I'm going up to the watchtower because I need to get away from the little and I got to enlarge who I am in order to receive God. This is why Paul, later on in his ministry, prays this prayer for you. He says this in Ephesians 1.17, he says, his prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. What is he talking about? Not your physical sight. He's talking about the sight of your spirit. And Paul's saying, I've had a vision. It changed everything. So now my prayer for you is that you would get a spirit of wisdom, not a spirit of foolishness, not a spirit of self. I pray that you get a revelation and you get knowledge of him. And all of a sudden, the eyes of your heart becomes enlightened. What is that? That's a spiritual vision. Paul's prayer for us is that we would have a similar encounter that he had, that it would change our inside, and it would give give us a kingdom mindset. But I think the problem that we face many times on this journey of vision is the space between the end of the old vision and the birth of the new one. That's a difficult place to be in. The old vision of Paul was death. But God says to Paul, I'm about to release a new vision, and it's life. The old vision of Paul, and this is how God works, was to destroy the church. And God says, I've got a better vision. How about you build the church? How about you plant the church? He went on a missionary journey. Paul's first missionary journey was actually to Damascus, and it was to destroy the way. But God says, no, I've got three more missionary journeys, and it's that you're going to lead the way. I love that God works just like that. He says, no, I'm going to be glorified with this. You think you're too far gone? You think you're too wild? You think that vision's too secure? I'm going to interrupt your plans, and I'm going to triumph with my plans. The difficulty that you and I have is that space in between the death of the old vision and the birth of the new one, that waiting period. Do you know that Paul was waiting in Damascus for three days? There was three days of darkness after he saw Jesus. Jesus is like, you get to see me and then nothing else. Three days of waiting. Three days of not knowing. Three days of no clarity. Three days of insecurity. Will I ever see again? Have I gone too far? I mean, at this point, I've actually put people in jail for following Jesus. And Jesus now has confronted me. And what are his plans for me? He kind of left it up in the air. He's unsure what the new vision is going to be or if he'll ever even receive vision. Have you ever been in this place? And maybe your old vision wasn't one of death. Maybe it was even a good vision, a God vision. But, you know, this is kind of how God works with vision is that when God ends the old, good or bad, there's a space before the new. I mean, think about Abraham. When God gave Abraham a vision of Isaac, the promise of Isaac, and then finally gave him Isaac. And then God says, but now I want you to take your son. I want you to sacrifice him for me. And for three days, three days, there's something about this number. For three days, Abraham is on a journey. And the whole time he's saying, this can't be God. But there was a, there was a space between the old vision and the new vision. And the new vision was going to be not only is Isaac the promised son, I'm going to send another promised son. It was all about Jesus. God wanted to expand the vision, but here's these three days of waiting and frustration and not knowing. 
Remember the disciples? They were all gathered together in the upper, upper room for three days. And we might say, well, we know how it ends. But they didn't. And they're nervous. And they're thinking, is every knock on the door, is that the Roman soldiers coming for us too? You know what's interesting? They thought for sure. They heard Jesus say, I will establish my kingdom. They even heard him say, I will resurrect. And yet, in those three days, there was still fear. There was still insecurity. The, the, there was still the, um, the frustration of not knowing what's next. And the enemy can speak during that time. Paul had to go through it. Abraham had to go through it. The disciples have to go through it. Will have to go through it. Three days of darkness. And maybe yours is lasting for a couple months. Maybe even for a couple years. It's a period of time between the death of the old vision and the revelation of the new vision. Do you know the number of three has powerful meaning in the, in the Hebrew language? The number of three means harmony. It means new life. And it means completeness. This is the, 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 the Hebrew number three. And it's so interesting, before God is going to bring things into harmony, before he's going to bring new life, before he's going to complete the old and start the new, God will put you through this season of waiting. And I just want to encourage you, that season does not mean that God doesn't have something more for you or new for you, but God wants to make sure that the old is dead, it's buried, it's over, it's done, let it go, and here comes the new. It's on its way, but he's going to teach you patience in the meantime, because God works in seasons. He really does. He works in seasons. And can I tell you, winter is a very necessary one. And it feels like death. And it's super frustrating. And it feels like we're never going to breathe again. Breathe the sunshine air. And we're all vitamin D3 deficient. And we're frustrated. Did anyone know it was supposed to snow this morning? I did not. But can I tell you, winter ends. After three months, it comes to an end. And here comes spring. You might be in a winter in your life, a winter in your vision, but hear me, it is temporary, it is necessary, and spring will always come. New life, harmony, and completeness will come, and the vision will burst forth in a brighter day. Please hear me. Let the vision, the old vision, fade so that God can give you and you can receive your new vision. And you might ask, well, well how do I do this? And, and, and my, the thing I would like for you to remember is that rest, that rest always brings restoration. You know, because I think sometimes we think we're going to strive, we're going to push, we're going to move, we're going to make it happen, we're going to see something. But the reality is, when, when it's so great, it's so kind that God put Paul into a place where he could see nothing because God's still working. He's speaking to Ananias. God's still working on his behalf, but he's saying, will you rest in me right now? I'm moving things for your next movement. But rest, because you might say, well, how do I get vision? I'm in that waiting period. What do I do next? Rest. It brings restoration. We say, I don't want to rest. I want to move. I want to hustle. I want to grind. I want to get going. But see, that's not how vision works. Vision is God-initiated. And God says, I've got the season, I've got the timing, it's coming around. But rest brings restoration. And, and if you want to receive vision, this is why, and I, I know I talk about it a lot, but this is why I'm, I'm so adamant about us finding a moment in the beginning of our day and praying. Because you rest at the beginning. You rest at the end. You give God that space for new vision, 
Okay, the day hasn't started yet. Anything could happen. I want to start with God giving you opportunity to give me new vision. Happens, I'm speaking on the macro, in your every day. And you know, I know we have a praying church. I know you're up early. I know you're reading and I know you're working towards that, giving God five, 10 minutes. That is resting in the spirit, trusting the spirit. And that's where God might drop a word or redirection or a little encouragement for the day. But I want to encourage you even on the week. Do you remember at the end of God's creation process, God rested? Well, why? Is God tired? Certainly not. But God's saying, I don't need to rest. You need to rest. I'll create the whole universe, and I will force myself to rest to show you there should be a day. There should be a day where you're not working. There should be a day where you're putting you know, your phone away. This is called the Sabbath. And I want you to know, even in our American society, we might think, well, I'm not being productive. Yeah, but there's, there should be rhythms to your productivity. There really should. When we're in Israel, they have Sabbath. They still practice it to this day. It's called Shabbat, and it's on Saturday. And everything, everywhere, everywhere completely shuts down 100%. We had to go to like the completely unsaved Gentile quarter to get a hamburger. It was really difficult. Everything shuts down, you know? But you know what's interesting? It's not that the Israeli people are, are lazy. It's not that they're unproductive. No, they're extremely productive, but they're following God's rhythm. And so, so I want to encourage you, even in the presence of vision, it might not be all vision all the time. Let's go. Let's make it happen. In the beginning of your day, in the beginning of your week, there should be moments that you give to God, that you rest. And I love that sometimes God puts you in that state. You're going to rest now for this season. You know, I don't want to get too practical, but I even, I even encourage, if you can, to take some vacations. Go up to New Hampshire. Get by the, the mountains. If you can, give, give yourself a little bit of time. Because if, if you have a vision for your marriage, sometimes you need space to get a new vision for your All of a sudden, you realize, I do like you. We, you laugh at my jokes. We're not just per, perpetual babysitters. <laughs> You get a, you, what do you get? You get a, a fresh vision. Sometimes that will only happen if you give enough space. You know, because I think sometimes, well, if I left, the whole business would collapse. Well, you need to become a better leader. Give it some space. Well, they really need me. That's not true. You just are addicted to that thing. Give it some space. Give it some space. Give your marriage some of that space. Give yourself some space from those kids. Take them on one vacation, leave them on another. <laughs> to recognize sound, there must be space. To experience light, there must be dark. To receive vision, there must be room for communication. But God says to Paul, and he says to us, I'm going to make there be a little bit of room and I'm going to speak to you in that space, three days. And then what does God speak? He says to Ananias, I want you to go, I want you to go pray over him because I've given him a vision and this vision will cost him. Every vision has a cost. I will show him, Jesus says, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And the question I have is, are you willing to pay the price to be useful to the Lord? going to cause you to have to deny yourself. It's going to cause you to have to sacrifice your pride. It might, have to, it might cause you to lay down some dreams. Are you willing to pay the price to become useful to the Lord? What if? What if what you thought God had for you turns out differently 
You thought this was the one, but they married someone else. Do you let that become bitter in your life? Or do you say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I understand that there's gonna be some suffering. I lay it down. Maybe there are some things in your life that you thought would go one way, and yet they're going another. I choose to submit to the greater vision and the greater plan of Jesus. I lay down my vision to receive his vision. Paul thought his vision was great. Abraham thought his vision was great. But God had a greater one, and he brought him through the process, and they passed the test. What if what you thought God had for you turns out differently. Can you lay it down? Jesus says to the disciples, if you want to be with me at my right hand in heaven, can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink? He says to David, can you walk through the valley of the shadow of death? He says to Joseph, can you keep your dream alive even in the prison? He says to Paul and Barnabas, can you praise even in the pit? He says to you and he says to me, can you count the cost and pay the price to be used by God? Because there is a critical component of being a Christ follower, and that is submission, even in suffering. Submission, even in misunderstanding. Submission to God's plan, God's way, God's timing, over my timing. And it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily like a sure thing that we will do this. I mean, do you remember when Jesus said to the rich young ruler, the invitation was open, come and follow me. And the rich young ruler said, well, what must I do? And he says, very simple. You have to sell all that you have and give it to the poor because that was his God. And that's the thing that would keep him from God. You remember how that story ended? The last picture that we see of this young man is the Bible says he walks away from Jesus with tears in his eyes because he loved his possessions more than his God. The invitation was open from Jesus himself, but he was unwilling to pay the price. He was unwilling to lay down the stuff of his dreams. This is a truth. It's truth in real estate and it's truth in life that the greater the view, the higher the price. The greater the vision, the higher the price. But I've got good news for you. God always redeems our suffering. He always makes it meaningful. You know, I think we all have to deal with the problem of pain. I just can't figure out how on earth you deal with it if you're an atheist. Because it's not just painful, it's meaningless. But God brings meaning to our pain. He uses even our suffering to glorify him. He develops our character. He gives us steadfastness. He lets us count it all a joy. Because see, our faith is always refined in trial. And I've seen it happen so many times, even in the church, where you would think people go through horrific circumstances. You would think that they would lose their faith, and yet they come out as pillars of faith. And you say, that doesn't make sense. Aren't you supposed to hate God? Aren't you supposed to be angry? And they say, I started that way. But God gave me a greater revelation. He gave me a greater vision. He redeemed the suffering, and he used me. And if you read the life of Paul, there was great suffering. 
three times shipwrecked, stoned and left for dead, abandoned by his friends, lost his way. He was, in the end, persecuted and died for the name of the Lord, and yet he established churches. He encouraged people. He raised up Timothy. Every week we read his words as written through Paul from the hand of God, and we see that though he suffered, God had a greater vision, great redemption, and now God has done great things. So the thing that we have to do as Christians is choose, will we count the cost? Will we count the cost and allow even the difficulties in our life to not move us away from God's vision, but to help us lean into it? I'm going to close right now, but there's this parable that Jesus tells. It's so amazing in, in, in the book of um, Luke. He says this, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the costs? Which of you has an idea? Which of you has a vision? Which of you have a direction? Do you not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I pray that you don't just begin in Christ. I pray that you don't just receive a vision. I pray you see it all the way through. God lets you see it. May you see it all the way through. May you pay the price. There's a, there's a house down by the corner of my street, and as long as I've lived there for 10 years, it's been empty, and it's been useless, and I always drive by and say, what's the story of this abandoned place? Because you know, I, love, I love the abandoned things. One of my favorite things is going on YouTube and watching the abandoned mansions and people breaking in. You ever, you ever watch that stuff? It's the best, right? I remember one time I tried to like make my own video of like abandoned tour. I went to Rocky Point. The Rhode Islanders know. And I remember I was like, all right, we're gonna make an abandoned you know video. And I like jumped the fence and it went like I heard whoop whoop. And I was like, oh dang it. And the cops like, hey, get out of here. And I was like, ah, guess I'm not called to be a career criminal. But I love seeing these abandoned mansions because there's always amazing design. There's always a, a phenomenal vision. And they'll, they'll show these ballrooms and they'll, they'll show the grand staircase. And, and sometimes even items are left there and you say, oh my goodness, what happened? Well, it wasn't a lack of vision and it wasn't even a lack of effort. But eventually, someone could not pay the price to maintain the vision. They couldn't pay the price to see it through. And so what was once designed is now dirty. What was once stunning and beautiful has become corrupted or fallen into decay because someone couldn't count the cost to see the vision all the way through. Remember, I was driving by that abandoned house near me, and finally I saw the guy that owned the place, and I stopped and I asked him the story. And he told me about this amazing idea that he had and, and how he built the house, and it had all these innovations and steel roof and no internal walls and all this really cool stuff. And, and I said, what happened? He said, ah, you know, I had a good idea. But I ran out of funds. Then I fought with the town. Then they're really against me and I'm not paying. Truth is, if you won't pay the price, you'll never see the vision come into fruition. It will never serve others. It will never be translated from an idea to becoming useful. I pray that you get great vision.
but I also pray that you pay the great cost, that God will come and, and like Paul, like Saul, who becomes Paul, the persecutor becomes the apostle, God brings you from who you were to who you will be, and in that process, you trust him through every season, through the waiting periods, on the mountaintop and in the valleys that you trust him. And the moments where you say, this feels really, really difficult, I want you to know that that doesn't mean that the vision is dead. That might mean that you're in a space. It's coming, but allow God to bring you through the difficult moments. Allow God to redeem those difficult moments. Pay that price so that God can build a lineage and a legacy and character and development and a future in your life so that God can trust you with visions that are worth seeing through. Amen. Can I pray for you right now? Lord, I thank you so much for your people. God, I thank you so much that you are going to speak to us. You are going to give us great things. God, I thank you that you have not abandoned us or left us to our own devices, our own ways, our own ideas but you really have come for us, God. And so I thank you so much, Jesus, that you are going to give us great vision. I pray right now that, God, you help us, even in the difficult times of transition in the vision, God, that we will be able to trust that our faith and our courage rises, that will count the cost, and that you will move us from the old to the new. And in between, we trust you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.